This week, we talk about sending dynamic emails with no-code tools, planning sprints, and the future of no-code after Webflow raised $140 million. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, we have the, the DDoS is over. That's good. Last week, we talked about how Less Annoying CRM was getting DDoSed, and uh, we recorded that Thursday afternoon. The last DDoS that happened thus far was that morning. So we haven't had anything uh, since the last recording, which I feel good about. <laughs> and to, to recap, DDoS means basically you're getting attacked by server of like a bunch of different uh, resources trying to hit your server at the same time. Yeah. And, and so you haven't had a single attack since we recorded the podcast. Right. Yeah. So there was an attacker. They actually reached out to us and at, they didn't exactly ask for a ransom. They were like, get in touch with me over WhatsApp. And we were like, no. So I, I assume they would have asked for a ransom, but we didn't engage with them. Um, presumably, we, we played this game of whack-a-mole with them long enough that they were like, okay, this isn't worth it. And they moved on to the next target, is my guess. I don't know. That's great. Well, so do you feel relieved or do you feel like, uh, do you feel <laughs> like the, are you still sleeping with one eye open? Yeah, I'm definitely not fully calmed. Like I've read... I read a couple other websites that got DDoSed um, and kind of wrote about their stories. And it's not uncommon for the attacker to come back later. So I hope that doesn't happen. I don't, I don't see any reason why that should happen, but uh, I'm not like 100% calm, but 98% probably. Cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and are you, are, you, um, are you at a point where you feel like you can move on from this or are you prioritizing some things to, to, to sort of, uh, get to a place where you can do that. I think I moved the the company has shifted some of its priorities based on this, but that's more like two of the developers in particular are kind of focused on infrastructure and security type stuff. So they we've shifted their roadmap around a little, but a week ago it was like all hands on deck. Like every developer is doing nothing but this. And now we're kind of back to most people are working on their normal projects and a couple people are still uh making making adjustments so that if this happens again we'll be very ready to handle it. Cool. Yeah. So you asked me last time if I could just like, I because last last episode we recorded, it was still in the heat of in, in, like in the heat of battle or whatever. You asked if I could bring some learnings or whatever. So I've got some. I don't think any of this is super insightful, but a couple things I, I didn't say last week. If I can just run through these. Um, first one I mentioned the ransom email. What what do you think you'd do? You get an email that basically says, "I'm the one taking down your site." Here's my WhatsApp number. Get in touch. Gosh, I, I mean, I think I I would react very angrily. I'd probably, <laughs> I'd fight every urge to respond and tell the guy to go curse himself. What do you, so you what, would just not respond, you think? I don't know what I would do. I, I, yeah. I probably would force myself to exercise a 24-hour rule, seek counsel, um, hopefully be in a position to say, uh, go F yourself in a really nice way. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, we decided at first we didn't respond because we were like, what do we like? We're not going to pay the ransom. That's not going to happen. So what do we have to gain? Then eventually we were like, well, maybe he doesn't realize we saw the email and thinks he needs to continue getting our attention, basically. Um, so eventually we responded just being like, I acknowledge 
I have seen your email. This is the last time we're talking to you. Goodbye. Um, I have no idea if that's the right way to handle it or not. But anyway, that's what we did. <laughs> and has he responded to that or silent? <laughs> it's funny. The the response to the email just said, why? Question mark. I, I wrote him an email that was like, we will ne- like, we're going to ignore all future communication from you. This is the, like, goodbye. And he just responded with why? Question mark. Having said that, I, I, first of all, definitely not a native English speaker. And second of all, I suspect he probably hijacked someone else's email. And so I think it's possible that the actual owner of that email was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, who knows? I, I, the whole thing was bizarre. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. That was weird. Uh, I said this last week, but Cloudflare was really the big tool that helped us out a huge amount with it. And I, I just can't say enough about them. Like, set up Cloudflare before this happens instead of having to set it up in the middle of the night the way we did. Like, that's one of my takeaways. <laughs> what other ones? Um, you got to have a lot of different layers of protection, um, Cloudflare being one of them. But, you know, we're also investing more in, like, better, like, monitoring our logs on our servers and just various things to, you know, when something happens, you can't... So I think we've talked before about the Dwight Eisenhower quote, Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. It's one of these things where, like, whatever happens, it's going to be different than what you planned. You can't plan exactly. But the more scenarios you've run through and the more, like, tools you have at your disposal. So, for example, our initial reaction when when it happened was to switch to a mirror website. So www.lessoningserum.com went down. We were still trying to get it back up. But we realized is if we just bring up, like, we used dev www because that's a site we already had up, .lessoningserum.com. We just sent all our customers there because that wasn't getting DDoSed. So just by having like this other tool at our disposal, the more things you have, the more ways you can react to it. So that's kind of vague, but one there's not, in my opinion, one solution to DDoS. And it's like, oh, I've got my firewall set up. I don't need to worry about this anymore. So it's it's massive amounts of redundancy, it sounds like, that, yeah. let, that lets you isolate the attack and then keep things going on the other side. Yeah, because yeah, if they came at us a different way, like they could. Th- now I know more about it. There's so many different ways they could have attacked us, and we could handle any of them. But they're all they're all different, you know. Mm-hmm. Very um, cool. One thing is like it was. This was the first time for most of our employees dealing with a really like high pressure situation like this. And one thing that I had to say out loud. I shouldn't say I had to say out loud, but I don't think people immediately got was like there is a difference between how you operate during peacetime and how you operate during wartime. So like the people who had been through it before, everyone was like, throw everything that all our other obligations out the window and and do whatever we need to do to handle this. And some of the other people were like, well, I have a demo scheduled in 30 minutes. And it's like, our site is down. You're not doing your demo. Cancel the demo. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not that anyone messed up. I don't want to like suggest that, but just saying out loud to people, all of the process that we normally have, all of our systems don't apply right now. Get creative, do what you need to do to to handle the situation, you know? Yeah, so so there's sort of two communication pieces here. One is be prepared in the event that you go down to communicate to your customers and your users so that they're, you know, you're you're not coming up with that on the fly. And then the second piece is be prepared to communicate to your team members internally that this is a red, you know, a fire alarm, and it's not a it's not a drill. 
Yeah. And uh, what and, and have them be, you know, prepared to understand what it means for it not to be a drill. Right. Yeah. Um, and then my for, fi- final note here, you asked me last time about what we were doing communicating with customers. I didn't have a good answer because in the moment, it's just like response to people. That's, you know, it's hard to really have a great strategy in the moment. But uh, Friday, so about 24 hours after the last attack, we I sent a postmortem out to all our customers. Um, and it was basically just an email that said, first of all, sorry that the site went down. And then second of all, like, here's what happened. And then third of all, here, here's the changes we're making to, I didn't like promise it will never happen again, but like, here's what we're doing to make it less likely. Um, the response to those emails was just like incredible. I think I got 200 replies probably. And two people asked for credits saying like, give me a free month. And I think maybe one or two people were like neutral, like, meh, I don't like it when the site goes down, but okay. And the other 196 were like, this is the most amazing email I've ever seen. No company communicates like this. I like you better than I liked you before the downtime. Um, which, A, feels great, but also, like, this, the bar is so low. Just, like, every company is so afraid to just say the truth. <laughs> like, just just email your customers and tell them what happened. So it sounds like the, I mean, ba- basic framework is be responsive, be transparent, um, and be, like, genuine. Yeah. Authentic. Yeah. I, it, it's not that complicated, I don't think. And I, I, I've even joked before, I would never do this, but take your site down for an hour on purpose and send this postmortem email and you'll have more customer loyalty than if the site never went down. Like, communic- It's such an opportunity to build trust and show authenticity when something like this happens. Yeah. You don't really know who, what something or someone is about until they go through a fire. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, it's either an opportunity for people to find out who you really are for the worse uh, or for the better. And for, and for you guys, it sounds like it was much, it was for the better. Yeah. At least from the people we heard from. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm hope, hopefully I never talk about DDoS again and it's past us, but uh, yeah, what's, what's been going on with you? Uh, let's see. So I spent last week, I think I mentioned on the last episode that I'm surprised at how, hard the seasonality is hitting and that it's de- it's really quiet so i have a, t- a lot more time in january than i thought i would so since the last podcast i've done a lot of planning and high level what i what I, the process i like to go through in, in these situations is explore a lot of different things so what are all the things i want to do in 2021 and you know bucket those sort of map them into larger buckets and i did that and started thinking about okay, well, if I were going to break this into quarters, you know, how would I, how would that break down? And then within quarters, if I want to do maybe six to eight week sprints. I really like the idea of six weeks in, at this stage of the business because mm-hmm. it's long enough where it's longer than a month, but it's not quite a quarter. A quarter seems too long to plan, and you know, in detail. And then a month seems too short. So six six weeks feels right. I, I can't explain it any other way. And you're not talking about like uh, like agile development type sprints. You're just talking about kind of like a theme that you're focused on. Like here's a bunch of work I want to get done. Here's uh, you know here's six weeks of work. Let's go focus and not worry about planning for six weeks and get this done and then look up again. Mm-hmm. Basically, a focus a, a, a time period of focus without worrying about what we should be working on because it's already been planned out. 
Have you, can I segue real quick? Or, yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. H- have you heard of uh, Basecamp's book, um, Shape Up? I have not. I haven't actually read it, but I've heard so many people talk about it on podcasts that I feel like I know every word in it. But they, it's kind of their, how they approach project management. And I think they do six-week cycles also. They, ba- they basically say, you know, you do your planning period and you commit to something and they have a whole framework for this. And then you put your head down and, and work for six weeks. And they say every single project should be doable in six weeks. Like it... If you can't do it in six weeks, it's make it smaller. Yeah, yeah. I'm coming. Very interesting. I'll check it out. Shape up by um, by the Basecamp guys. Yes. So yeah, and and so I, I did that. And by by doing that, I'm realizing, wow, I have a lot of things that I want to do. Really, there are two two themes. One is get more customers and grow revenue, and the other is uh, basically build out and automate the service. And uh, you know the both require learning on the automation side. I have to learn how to code or work with certain you know, if, if, you know, tools that I haven't used before on the growth side. It's, it's a little bit of doing what got us here, but it's really exploring marketing channels that we haven't figured out and figuring out how to rep- you know produce those predictably. So um, in, in a lot of ways, it's unpredictable how long things will take, but when mm-hmm. you start really tearing it down to the shape up books point, and you, you get, okay, what can I actually get done in six weeks? It forces you to really think about like what you can control within each of those aspects. And I've got some really, what you know, bite relative to a year, bite-sized projects that, man, it's like, wow, I planned out this year, but it seems like I could do this in half the year. So um, anyway, it feels really good to have gone through that process. And I'm feeling pretty good about my first six weeks of work that I'm going to commit to. And uh, I'm, my plan is to allocate, I can shift to sort of my second update here, which is the way I'm, I'm thinking about time allocation. This has been a, you know, as a solo founder, you have to think about, okay, am I get, what, what day, you know, what day is Monday? Is it finance day? Is it marketing day? Or is it, you know, product development day? And I'm, I'm basically going to split my weeks into 50, 50 um, promotion and 50, 50, uh, uh, automation. And so between, you know, basically Monday, Tuesday will be, you know, some form of, of product development and, uh, Wednesday, Thursday will be some form of marketing or growth, um, effort. And I'll do that for six weeks and then look up again. Cool. So that sounds perfectly reasonable to me, but I'm going to do what previous past Rick asked me to do, which is to say, you kind of have said before you have a tendency to not do enough marketing because like the product stuff is like the siren call. Any concern that that's what's happening here and that you should put more effort into marketing? It was before I put in the 50-50 rule because I was what I wanted to do before I came up with the 50-50 thing was just let's just go focus on get getting all the automation done and not worry about mm. promotion for six weeks. And I, I heard you on my shoulder going, you know, no, no, you need to do some promotion. And so the 50% promotion is actually me responding to that call. Okay. That's cool. It's, it's helpful to be able to hear, to be able to like, think what would the critics, what, you know, what would my advisors or whatever say here? Um, I'm probably not, I, I need to do more of that, of thinking about what other people would, how they would critique how I'm spending my time. Yep. I'm glad the to other, hear you did that. The other way to do it is to think back, you know, think ahead and, and sort of look backwards. So you put yourself at the end of the six weeks and you go, what am I going to regret not having done? Mm-hmm. 
and I and that's what got me there was like I'm gonna be talking to Tyler and saying the exact same thing I said twice in 2020, which was, um, man, I wish I had been doing some reach out every day because it's hard to get the momentum back. Cool. Um, at some point, I'd be curious to hear what like so you've got six weeks, really like three weeks of automation and three weeks of marketing. Do you want to talk a little about what those are, or should we maybe some other time? Well, I mean, the big, I mean, the big automation stuff has to do with everything that happens once someone creates an account from what emails are getting sent, how those emails are getting sent, what, you know, right now I, I don't collect, they, they answer questions. A user answers questions about their health insurance situation mm-hmm. and, you know, what, uh, they, they, they go through a workflow that I don't record the answers to. So I can't nurture them based on, you know, certain uh, criteria they have. For example, I asked them, do they currently have health insurance? But I don't store the answer to that question. So therefore I can't, I can't say, oh, let's put these group, the people who have health insurance into this bucket and send them a series of three emails that are specific to their situation. So a lot of it's putting in that infrastructure and then building the emails to sort of work people through the manual process that I figured out in Q4. Um, that's, that's one group, but I kind of putting that in onboarding. The, the big one though, the, the thing that I'm most excited but also scared about is figuring out how to automate the um, API calls for our um, monthly email updates. So every every month we send an email out to our, our users uh, or clients that have a policy with us and we, we send them, hey, here's your here's your policy, here's its status, it's active. Um, and here's your current, here's where you are with your current deductible and out-of-pocket maximum. People seem to really value that just to have a quick glance of sort of like getting your bank oh, statement. Yeah. yeah. And just like, oh, okay, that's where I am. And yeah, I'm not using my health insurance and getting nothing or, you know, that kind of thing. One of the features people like most about Less Annoying CRM is we just email them their calendar every morning. Uh, yeah, I just, any anyone running a business, I would put some thought into what's an email once... Probably we do every day because we're their calendar. That's probably overkill for most, but every week or every month that just like provides one little piece of information they'll like. It's such a great way to stay top of mind. So that exactly. So it's it's a right now the cost of putting the email together isn't scalable because it's me manually constructing it, you know, yeah. times the number of people that we send it to. And if people have multiple policies, multiple times for that person. So um, there's an API that we use to gather this data. I'm manually calling that API every for each user. I'd like to basically create a script that runs through um, a list of, of policies and updates that information automatically um, without you know me having to do anything. That's one piece of the, pro- of the problem. The second piece of the project is once you have the data filled into, let's just say, a, a table, you, uh, running through that table and constructing HTML emails based on the data. I wonder if there's room in the no-code space for... Like, I know no-code's growing fast and a lot of obvious areas have been claimed. It sounds like there's not uh, something that kind of connects API data to um, email automation. Th- that's the... I Is think that the, right? Yeah, so there's there's tools out there for... I would look at them separately. There's There's email automation tools where it's like, if you have a simple, you know, record like object with, with, with not like with fields and they're static field, like not static fields, yeah. but, but they're simple fields. They're like numbers, text. That's great. But if the email becomes dynamic and that there's many to many relations between the data, it, there isn't a tool that I'm aware of that can, 
you know, basically without code, go through a complicated database and construct an email based on many to many data relationships. Um, whereas uh, on the API side, though, it's actually there are a lot of no code tools out there that if you have a, let's just say, a, a table, a spreadsheet of of records, you can pretty, you know, not easily, but you can figure out how to, via a no-code tool, run through those t- uh, table entries, um, those rows, and call an API for each of those. So that that is actually easier to solve than the email thing. Okay. Because the API, like email providers like Mailgun give you an API. The problem is generating the actual dynamic text of the email itself. Yes. Sending the email is not hard. Uh, gathering the data is not hard. It's uh, I've got a user with three policies with five fields. How do I construct an email for that person based on that? There's a micro SAS right there. <laughs> Explain. Some, someone should go build the, the tool you need right now. Like it, you know, I don't think it would turn into a giant, you know, like the next web flow, but you can't be the only person who wants to have all this structured data and then make like basically build. I feel like email automation, like you said, it's you already have the data in in the email tool and you're just using their templating system. If you're writing your own code, like we do at Less Annoying, you just code up whatever you want. But there seems to be a gap in there that a no-code tool could fill. And yeah, I thought about that too. What, what I what I'm because I don't know how to do it in code, it's hard for me to imagine what a no-code tool would be automating basically by by building this. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering, like, if you were gonna code this and and maybe we can just brainstorm this real quick. If you were going to code, let's say we had a, um, let's just actually just use the example. We've got users who have policies. Users have spouses who might be want to be CC'd on an, on an email. And mm-hmm. uh, users have policies that have data attached to them. Um, that uh, And let's just say on average, someone a uh, user has two policies. We want to send an email uh, to each user saying, hello, uh, first name, um, here are your policies, list the two policies out and provide the data on their deductible underneath each of those policies. How would you go about coding that? And, you know, and what would be sort of the logic that you would use? Yeah. So w- let's start with just how do you take like an, uh, like an object with data in it and turn it into HTML? Because that's, ba- that's fundamentally the core of what's happening here. And then there's a little stuff around the edges of like, how do you send the HTML via email and stuff? But I actually think last generation's web tools were designed really well for this. When I say last generation, you may have heard of like React and Angular and Vue. These are what modern day web programmers are using. And it's kind of overkill for this. The previous generation had what were called templating languages. And you wrote HTML, but you could do like curly brace, curly brace, and then like a variable name. But they had the ability to do a little more logic. So you could do loops. You could go you like nested inside of like multidimensional arrays and you could do conditional logic like if statements and stuff. So an example of this is backbone.js. Um, this isn't exactly an answer to you, but like the way that what they did is they said, you can write this template language code and give us an object and we will turn it into the HTML you want it to be. And it sounds like that's basically what you need. You just need connectors for no-code tools to like put the data in and get the data out when it's done. Am I understanding you right? I think so. Um, yeah, I guess maybe you could talk about maybe without going into specifics on the actual coding language, but like how, what are like the, 
what is like the logic and the and the script? What would the script do that you would write? Mm-hmm. Like, what would be like okay. in English? What would the script try to automate to solve the problem of I've got a spreadsheet and, and I want it of a hundred rows representing a hundred users and they link to two hundred rows of policies. I want one hundred emails. So like what we do on our end is, first of all, we have what's called a cron job, which is like something that runs on a schedule. So every night our billing script runs and it charges people money. And then it basically pulls from the, we use a database, not a spreadsheet, but same idea, pulls from the spreadsheet, gives you a hundred rows. You do a loop through that. So you say for every row, I'm going to do whatever's inside of the loop. And then inside the loop, I mean, it's very specific on what you're doing, but in our case, we might say, Okay, first try to charge them in Stripe. Did it succeed or did it fail? If it succeeded, send them an email that said your charge succeeded. If it failed, send them an email that said your charge failed. If you need to do additional queries, you can say, well, if it failed, we need to get a list of all their admins so that we can email all the admins or something. So you can just kind of like, the, the loop going through all the records is the main thing. And then inside of it, you just use if statements to say, if this is true from the data, we want to send this. If that's true, we want to pull more data in and send that or something along those lines. Got it. So you might have a nested for, you basically would have a for loop to go through all the users. And then for each user, you'd have a for loop to go through all the policies for that user and pull that in. And you'd, yeah, at the top of the, so inside the main for loop, you'd make a variable that's like, here's the HTML we're going to output. Then you'd loop through all the policies and you'd say, for this policy, add it to the output HTML. And then you'd go through ah, the next. So one you're basically building the HTML file for each one of those users as part of you know problem one, and then once you have the HTML pre-built for each user, you then call an API to send the email and just insert the HTML. Yeah, exactly. So, so a way to break down this project for me, for example, would be figure out how to construct um, the HTML email uh, or the HTML. Like create a, a new table that says that is called HTML for monthly email send that basically gets filled in based on the data that I already have. Yeah, yeah. Normally, you wouldn't store the HTML in a table. You just kind of generate it on the fly and send it immediately. But there's no reason you couldn't like even do this just with Excel. Like use a bunch of concat uh, functions in Excel and build the HTML. Yeah, that could work. Cool. That's interesting. Now you just helped me simplify the problem. That's that's really good. Yeah, and I guess the API would be no different. It's the same thing. It's just calling, and then if the call succeeded, here's you know, update the the spreadsheet, update the database. If the if the call failed, put it in a queue to be reviewed manually. Yeah. No, he, I'm, he, I'm looking forward to seeing to seeing what you come up with here. I know you'll get it, but like, it's so you're in such this interesting intersection of no code and like low code right now. It's cool to watch. <laughs> yeah. The the, the I think if if you're out there listening and you're like, I'm a non-technical person, if you go back to our early episodes, you'll notice that I had no, I, I have a, a computer science background from an education standpoint, but no practical hands-on coding experience in the job. Uh, No-code has been a great way for me to dabble and start understanding how the web works and web, techno- web software works. And then the, I'm now starting, as I bump up against constraints and the no code space there are what what are called low code tools which basically require you to leverage javascript or you know mostly javascript uh to get you know automate things and then that opens you up to okay now i want to talk to a database and you start 
slowly becoming a low code full stack developer. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Awesome. Uh, what else are those all your updates? The, the only thing that, um, that I had on here, and I don't know if that now's the right time to talk about it or not is I, when I'm, when I'm going through planning, you know, I, I want to make sure this was sort of accidental that I got the time to do the exploration I needed to do to get to some really confident project work for the next six weeks. But if I, if I hadn't like gotten lucky, I guess, and, and had the week off or the quiet week, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I've gone ahead and scheduled uh, another planning session uh, f- for February, which I probably won't do because of, of this week. But then also, you know, basically every six months starting this February. So I'll have one in February. I'll have one in August. I'm just wondering, like, you've you've been pretty good about, I think, taking a week off here or two weeks off and going somewhere and and being pretty productive during that uh, escape time. I'm just wondering if you have any quick tips on like how to go about long-term planning on a regular cycle and be successful at it. Uh, I'll take a crack at it. My, I might be facing different challenges than you because when I like take a trip and do a week long thing, my main thing is just trying to shut everything else off. And I'm not sure if you can, like you don't have a customer service team hanging out to, to like my problem is if if you don't do this, if you don't set aside a time, uh, uh, like people are going to claim it with meetings and all that. My biggest thing is just give myself permission to say no to every single thing. I don't know that like I have a lot of tips for how to make use of that time. For me, it just happens naturally. If if I don't have anything on my schedule, I can't help but oh, I'm, I'm daydreaming about something and I just let myself go deep. Whereas right now in a normal week, I'm daydreaming about something. And I'm like, well, I've got other stuff I need to do and I stop. I, that's probably not helpful at all. <laughs> no, that's, but that's exactly what I'm... That's the, the idea behind these is the only thing I'm, I'm exploring is what should I work on? I'm not actually working on anything. And maybe I would work yeah. on something, but, but the idea is to free up the time because to really explore things and go through a list, a long list, an almost infinite list of what could be done. It requires an amount of uninterrupted focus that you rarely get on a, on a regular week. And so, you know, it's what you're, what you're describing is exactly what I want. I guess, you know, one thing I've done is I've scheduled it, but how long in advance do you start planning it? Um, How strict are you about saying no to everything? And how do you maybe set those expectations with customers, employees, that kind of thing? Um, I schedule it from a blocking time off standpoint pretty far in advance, but I don't really start thinking about what I'm going to do there until I get there just because I might be wrong. Like you might, a a month passes and then you have different priorities at that point. But yeah, I'll block it off on my calendar normally a month and a half in advance maybe or more. Um, and I try to be very strict. I'm like, I, I try to have absolutely nothing that week. If I were in your shoes where Maybe you could get away with a week without responding to customers. But if not, you could say, I'm doing one hour Wednesday morning or something like that and the rest of the week. But we didn't say it in these terms. What we both just said is basically you need permission to waste time. Yes. Right. That's that's the problem yes. is normally you're like, it's a waste of time to think about this stuff. And that's true. You need to not always do it. But during this week, you need to say, I'm just not going to stress out. If I spend all day thinking about something that's like stupid and I end up not doing, that's okay. Yes. 
the whole the success is getting to the point where it's like I don't want to work on ninety five percent of this, but I thought about it enough and mm-hmm. to, to be able to be co- to to be able to confidently say no to it. Yeah, right. Yeah, right for now. sure. Absolutely. So, I, yeah, I don't think there's much of a trick. Just like make sure you have the time and like do as much as you can to prepare yourself mentally for. I'm just going to go wherever the momentum takes me and just think about stuff I normally don't have time to think about. Yeah, scheduling it sounds like the the most I can do right now. And then, you know, as time gets closer, start setting up the week, whether that's where I am or what I'm saying, you know, what I'm expectations of people for that week so that mm-hmm. I can I can really turn off, turn off from everything else and focus on it. Okay, cool. That's helpful. I feel good about I like that, this, though. I like the six-week if you stick to the six week rhythm, that could be a really nice structure here where you could say at the end of each six weeks, I'm going to give myself two days to plan the next six weeks. And every three periods of six weeks, I'm going to take a week to plan the next year or whatever it may be. That might be a way to approach it. Yeah. And it provides one of the things that I really like about that, that week process is it gives you this time to, you I don't know about you, but do you do you have like a buildup of all these ideas that you have over a period of time that if you don't go through and purge, it just keeps growing yeah. and growing, and it gets this. It becomes this thing where it's like I don't remember what's in there, but I really know there's something. There's probably one thing in there I should be working on right now. But how do I get it? How do I find it? I someone who I do not know. Somehow we ended up like getting in the same Twitter thread the other day, and he said something that I just thought was so brilliant. He basically said. Most companies, I'm going to butcher what he said, but most companies' problem is not that they can't do enough. It's that they don't allow themselves to forget stuff. He said, like, let yourself forget all those old ideas instead of trying to increase your bandwidth to get them all done. And I just thought that was like such a good way to put it. So hard to let go of that stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, Okay, cool. I'm good on my updates uh, and uh, I should have progress to report next, um, next week. What about you? Cool. Um, just a few updates here. So I've mentioned before we're doing this design fellowship where we're bringing some people in who don't know how to design and I'm teaching them how, which is awkward because I don't necessarily know how myself, but whatever. Uh, so we finalized all that. It starts next Wednesday. Um, so we've got five coding or uh, design fellows that are coming in and I've got not the whole curriculum. It's a three month program, but I've got some of the curriculum. It'll be like three uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of lessons that I'm leading. So a decent chunk of my time for the next three months is going to be like prepping these lessons. Are you recording the delivery of the lessons? I am. I am not intending on making them public, but I'm at least recording them just so like we all can reference them. Uh, Why do you ask? I I wanted to suggest that you did that because I think you'll be happy that you did when you review them. Yeah, I agree. Um, It'll be really interesting. I think I'll actually maybe learn a little about design here as well, because I'm like reading books and then teaching the concepts in the books. <laughs> Forcing functions, we've talked about those in the past, but there's nothing like there's no better way to force yourself to learn something than to sign up to teach it. Yeah. Um, so for the foreseeable future, that'll be one of my big time commitments. And then the other one is we're getting very close to being ready to flip the switch on Webflow. Uh, so I've been talking about this for almost a year, I think. Um, I haven't personally been working on it, mostly someone else at the company has. But In the Webflow project, um, part one was getting the help site moved over. That's done. This is That's moving done. the entire website to Webflow. Yeah, it's it's tough. I 
anytime I plan a project, what I want to do is break it into even six weeks is too long for me. I want one or two weeks to say like, I actually can deploy something. It's not going to be the whole thing necessarily, but I can keep shipping. You just can't do that with a website because basically www.lessknowingserum.com is either pointing at our server or it's pointing at Webflow's server. You can't say this page is on our server and that page is on Webflow. So we've just in the background been porting the whole site over and there's a lot of like our own code that we have to pull out of there and stuff. So it's been way bigger of a project than I ever hope to do again. Like, but I'm glad it's almost done. But this, the reason you're doing this is it will allow non-coders to come in and make changes to the website, run tests, mm-hmm. improve the website, publish blog posts, all kinds of stuff. Yes. Yeah. So Eunice is the the person running the project and she's been she's been the one working on this for a year and she we're already like, okay, once this is done, like what does that unlock? Okay. You can start A B testing ad landing pages. You can start making new industry landing pages. Like everything's gonna unlock at that point. So it'll be great. But I am a little frustrated with like you and I have talked before, Webflow has a lot of it's like in this dangerous middle zone with functionality where it has enough that you start to think like, oh, this this does what I need, but you just hit limitations all the time. And one of some of those limitations we're hitting right now where the actual, the moment we flip the switch, I am not going to know that it's going to work. Like we can't, we, we cannot figure out a good way to test it. I shouldn't say that there without putting too much effort in, we can't figure out a good way to test it. So we're just going to like flip the switch and hope the site doesn't go down, basically. That's, I mean, I feel like that's how it is with marketing websites. It's just, yeah. if you use it, especially if you're, you're, you're not host, if you're not hosting it internally, generally you're, you're, you're going to hit publish one day and it's either going to work or it's not. And hopefully you can roll it back. Do you have a plan to roll it back if it doesn't work? The problem is it's DNS. So DNS is where when someone goes to lessknowingserum.com, they go to one server or another, that can take up to 48 hours to oh, propagate. Yeah. So it's it's really easy to switch back, but it's not instant. No, no. I know. It, it, that's, that's tough. <laughs> it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll work out. I, I also think, like I've used Webflow to host multiple sites already and it's been fine, but they were all sites that didn't previously exist. It was like a new, I feel like really this is my main complaint about Webflow in general. If you're building a new site, Webflow is amazing their redirects for like taking old... So their URLs are incredibly strict. You can't use capital letters. There are a bunch of things you can't do. But then they also don't have any good tools for redirecting your old URLs. So it's like, what am I supposed to do here? Eunice went in and I'm talking about thousands of redirects. She's manually, one at a time, copying and pasting these redirects in. It's a pain. (laughs) Oh, that's awful. Yeah. That's awful. Um, uh, Speaking of Webflow, I see on here you've got... um, uh, a, a sort of a shout out that they raised 140 million at a 2.1 billion valuation. Did you um, have anything particular you wanted to cover there? Um, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. So, okay, yeah, they raised a whole lot of money. I'm we're both not big on raising money, but I think I'm probably more against it than you are. Um, as a customer, I'm always a little unsure because I'm like, on the one hand, this is great. Like Web- Webflow's still years away from selling out, I think. So like in the short term, like they're doing great. I bet on the right horse. And in the long term, I'm like, do I love having my whole tech, not my whole tech stack, but my marketing stack dependent on this company that if you raise at a $2.1 billion valuation, that means you need to exit at what, a $50 billion valuation? Like they're under a lot of pressure now. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I don't think it's, I mean, I, I don't know how much they raised before, but I remember seeing large amounts of money being raised. So I don't think this is a significant change in yeah, terms of fair. culture. Um, uh, but, but I, 
you know, the, reading between the lines, there were two things that stood out to me in the press release. The first was um, enterprise. Uh, we're going to use this money to go after enterprise. And I think that's probably not good for companies like you and me is yeah. there, there's going to be a probably an emphasis on an inside sales team or even an enterprise sales team. So we're going to start getting, you know, right, right now we don't have to worry about people trying to sell us stuff at Webflow. I worry that this comes with some sales pressure uh, and monetization pressure, which could affect pricing and sort of uh, what it means to grow with Webflow. The worst case example of this is what Intercom did to their pricing. They basically priced out their, you know, they built their business on startups and then completely priced out their their start the startup um, companies. Uh, so that would be like a worst case scenario on that side. One encouraging thing I saw in the press release was um, it was in very small, like it's kind of a back mention is is them. They've talked a lot about um, they, they recognize that they're at the intersection of sort of this more advanced HubSpot content management system um, slash design tool and then you know pow- empowering non-coders or low coders to do more with web applications and they did recognize that in the press release they did say that some of this they they insinuated that some of this money would go towards building out um, more web application development um, technology but I, I heard enterprise a lot louder than I heard web application and that makes me a little bit nervous yeah, if you look at the world as it is today, the opportunity for them is to eat some of the market share from WordPress. Not, I mean, because no code's so new. I mean, maybe in 10 years, no code will be a giant ecosystem. But right now, if you need to make money, WordPress is the one making the money. And I think it's HubSpot too. I mean, HubSpot's, if you think about who serves enterprise on what's just called marketing automation tools, and specifically as it gets into content hosting it's wordpress it's hubspot you're getting super enterprisey you're getting into um like marketo um yeah. I, m- webflow, webflow is, doesn't they don't really have marketing tools aside from just hosting the website itself do they um they, they don't but they integrate with those tools and they could easily start building those tools um on top of their service or as separate standalone tools i would um, love that yeah and i don't i wouldn't be surprised if they did um but like hubspot for example one of the as a former user of HubSpot, one of the big advantages they had was they would host your website for you and do a lot of the things that Webflow did. But they, um, their design capabilities were far limited to a non-coder. Uh, you had to be a pretty solid like coder to be able to des- design in Webflow. Um, I mean, in HubSpot, Webflow yeah. totally changes that game. So, but yeah, I, yeah, you're right. Going after bigger companies and with that ridiculous team pricing that I don't understand. Um, it seems to be the primary use of capital. Yeah. Webflow is already not cheap. I mean, it, I, I'm sure it'll get more expensive for enterprise and stuff, but I think we're paying them 150 bucks a month between, cause we're paying for our team and then we're paying for our site and there's, there's all these different things you have to pay for already. Um, and given that like our marketing site does not get a lot of traffic, like 150 bucks a month is quite a bit to, to host the sp- relatively small trickle of traffic we're getting totally so no it's okay, interesting cool. but it's it's i you know I, I we covered this on the end of your episode but i thought no code would move quicker this year and mm-hmm. what you know i thought it would i thought webflow was going to be the one really doing more in web application development Th- that wasn't the reality as we covered previously but i'm hoping that this suggests that there's just so much opportunity in the no code web development space so i'm excited about it yeah, definitely. Um, what else? 
you invited me to Clubhouse. Have you used Have you used Clubhouse yet? Really? I tried. I think it goes against. I I don't really like conferences anyway. So when I'm I'm the guy who goes to a conference and I usually try to meet one on one with a few people and develop a relationship and then I leave or I don't go in the first place. I'm not the guy who goes and stands in a crowd of 50 people, listen to one person talk or three people yeah. talk. I just don't get it. I, I, am I missing something? I don't think so. So for anyone who hasn't heard of clubhouse, it's a app that is still invite only. So it's one of these like exclusive Silicon Valley, cool things. Although I think they're opening it up a lot right now or else you and I wouldn't be in it. Yeah, but basically yeah. there's different spaces, like different rooms you can go to and some people can talk, but most people are just listening most of the time and it's audio only and it's entirely synchronous. Nothing is recorded. So it's very ephemeral. I mean, yeah, the way I would it describe as a conference it, hallway would, track is an interesting, yeah. yeah. That's what I think about it. It's like, listen, imagine you're at a networking event and you can go into different rooms and there's different people talking and it's ca- it's casual it's more casual conversation of groups of people but usually there's the person who's controlling the conversation you know and choosing who they want to talk to but there's a crowd developing around those two or three people mm-hmm. you you can basically go in there and sort of try to raise your hand and and participate in the conversation or just listen in and it's that on a virtual basis across the whole world or or, or yeah. the whole platform well, and Twitter is about to, they're in the process of rolling out Twitter spaces, which is just a clone of this, basically. The thing that uh, I've tried to use it, I don't like the synchronous nature of it. Like, if you're talking to someone else, of course, it has to be synchronous. But if you're listening, like, I'll see someone I follow is having a conversation that sounds interesting to me, but I'm like, I'm eating dinner with my wife right now. Like, <laughs> I can't listen. And it doesn't bring me any value for it to be synchronous. Like I'm, I, I'm not interacting with it anyway. I'm just a passive audience member. So I don't know. The, the, I haven't figured out the unique use case for that type of social media. Um, I you, normally it would be for me going to, a, if I use the conference analogy, it would be, Oh, I'm going to go meet someone I wouldn't have met before and develop a one-on-one relationship. I just, I haven't figured that out yet in clubhouse. And I don't know that I, if someone would tell me how to do that, I would probably use it more. I actually, I I have almost had that happen to me. So like last night, I've barely used it, but last night I I saw someone I follow on Twitter who was like, I'm starting this group in Clubhouse. So I went and followed him in Clubhouse and then joined the group and he let me in. And then he was having a conversation with a few other people. And these are all people I've never met before, but I follow. And they're kind of like at least one or two levels up above you and me in terms of notoriety in this space. And I was like, and he like invited me. He was like, hey, we're talking about something you, uh, that's really like on your mind. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. I've wanted to meet this guy. But I, again, I was doing something. So I just ignored him. But I could see like it could work for that. Would you, but the question would be like, if you really wanted to meet that guy, could you do it? Would you just reach out to the guy and have a conversation with him anyway? Or is this like someone that like, yeah, you know, it's, I, I just, I can't. Rarely does synchronous networking make sense. And it's usually the only time it, to me, it seems like it's a a volume play where it's like, yeah, you go to a networking event to be able to meet 100 people one after the other and then like play the volume game. Whereas like Clubhouse doesn't seem like a volume game to me. Maybe it is. And I just don't get it. I think it could be. I mean, it could be. I, I also think most social media plays to our vanity. And it's very possible. It's a great way to like, quote unquote, build an audience. What do you, why? Who cares? Maybe there's no point. But if you're just, let's say you're new to the startup world and all the people you follow are like these startup celebrities, 
it could feel good. I could see someone being like tempted to be like, this is how I'm going to get known. I, I am skeptical, but you could like a lot of people could hear your voice if you play the game right. And, and maybe I'll, my final thought here. Okay. If I don't know if you've noticed this, but when a new social network gets started, the people who get sort of big on it really early when there's not much competition in many cases that can launch careers like being an early TikTok person or my mom's food blog, which like provides a full-time living for her. It's really because she got on Pinterest at the right time. Um, I could see an argument, go after Clubhouse just because it seems like the most likely next big social network and it's relatively low competition right now for like hearing your vo- uh, having your voice heard. It's a great point. I'm not going to do it though. <laughs> it's not, not you. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Anything else on your mind? Well, I'm I'm wondering. I, I see I've seen on here a few uh, weeks in a row that you're getting a Peloton. I'd like to hear why, and that seems <laughs> not like you. Yeah, it's not like me because I mostly don't exercise. I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. I guess like Peloton is sort of linked to tech a little. <laughs> I mean, it's the same reason you brought up Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, no, yeah, I don't know. I I uh, am not exercising enough, so I was like, maybe if I spend three thousand dollars on a stationary bike, I'll like feel guilty enough that I have to start exercising. That was pretty much my logic, which is stupid. Have is you? It, is it done here yet? Like, like, is it on back? Order? Oh no, they've got a huge back. I think it's coming. It's a little more than a month. I have like the delivery date scheduled, but it's in February sometime. That's ridiculous. And they've, by the way, can I just complain for a second? They have been. They have this like incredibly aggressive drip email campaign, which includes emails and SMS messages. I don't even have the fucking thing yet. Like they're sending me two messages a day, like get activated. And I'm like, ship it to me and then trigger this automation campaign, please. <laughs> That's so terrible. Oh, I'm very frustrated by it. Well, the, so I unsubscribed have... from all of their communication, which means when I actually do get it, I'm not going to get any of that useful stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear if this thing makes you work out more or if it just sits there. Because isn't it just, it's just a bike with a big TV screen on front yeah, of it, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. It's gamified <laughs> biking. Yeah, that may be all I need, though. I need a coach or something like that. There you go. I think if I if I had a lot more money, not a lot, I could probably afford this if I wanted, but like if I had enough money that I didn't care, uh, a personal trainer would probably be a good purchase for me because like I I just if someone's yelling at me, I am pretty good at exercising, but I just can't do it on my own. It's that's so interesting. I I never understand. I don't understand the personal trainer thing. Having a personal trainer would make me not want to go because I would have to interact with someone. And it's like my time to be alone. So it's, hmm. it would like, cool. I, some people are that way. I loved like being on team sports and having a coach, like telling me to do, I, I you know, I, when I was young, I was in amazing shape. I exercised all the time and it was just cause like my coach made me, you know, <laughs> I can be your coach, Tyler, Get, drop down and give me 10. Nah, sorry. No? <laughs> Five. I'll do one after we're done here. <laughs> uh, I have a bit of a rant um, as well, and you know, I, I probably wasn't going to share this, but I think it's something that I'll probably be talking a lot about this year. Um, sleep is is a goal for me in 2021, and not just sleep, but like being good at sleep. I historically have not been a good sleeper. I was like the kid who was like 10 years old, laying in bed, going, "When's the sun going to come up?" Because I can't sleep. Um, I had terrible sleep habits in high school. I was a, I did three sports. And so I was, I, I would fall asleep like in my studying my, my face in my book. Um, most nights, uh, just, I just 
did not have good sleep habits, fall asleep mm-hmm. in class, that kind of thing. I struggled all through college, especially with partying and that, you know, having unhealthy college habits. And then I graduated and I went to a sleep doctor on my way right before I moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to ski bum. Right. Uh, and this was May, 2007 ish. So probably 15, 13, 14 years ago. I went to a sleep doctor and, and that sleep doctor who I, I had no idea who they were prescribed me a medication. I did not listen to a word they said. I just got the medication. It was called Trazodone. T-R-A-Z-O-D-O-N-E. I give that to my dog. You do? Trazodone? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay. So I take a dog <laughs> pill. Um, anyway, so I, I move out and I start taking this as a nightly pill for sleep. Um, it works wonders. I start sleeping. I can go to bed when I want to go to bed. I wake up. Like It changes my life. Um, I've been taking this thing for 15 years. I have no idea what it is, but as part of my sleep um, sort of goal this year, it's like one thing I have to, I want to do before I, I can, I want to start focusing on sleep is get off this thing so I can, you know, learn how to sleep from scratch uh, and, and, and get back to natural sleep. So I start, I start looking at like what this thing actually is. And it's um, a, an antidepressant prescribed as a sleep med. So some people take it for, um, for depression. Um, my, and, and, and others take it for sleep. I'm one of the sleep people. Um, but because it's an antidepressant, when you getting off of this thing is no simple thing. I don't know. I've never really studied antidepressants. I've never, I never really thought about antidepressants, but when you, when you get prescribed an antidepressant, they, and you go off of it, you become susceptible to what's called antidepressant withdrawal syndrome, which is basically like, altered, like your brain starts freaking out about how to go about like wiring itself because you're no longer like receiving the, uh, chemicals that this Mm -hmm. drug was providing you before or like triggering. And so I, I went off of this stuff cold Turkey without knowing that that was like you, you hadn't read about this no, yet. You just tried going. cold. No t- oh. And so I started like, like having like massive flu, like symptoms, like feeling crazy, like all kinds of things. So I look it up and, uh, the, the way that a lot of people deal with this is they, they do, um, I forget the term for it, but they, they basically with reduce the dosage over time to get Mm -hmm. used to it. I, I read so much about it and I like their Reddit threads galore about like trazodone, like brain zaps. Like when you get, you basically have these like weird electrical shocks in your brain that you feel because your brain doesn't know what to do. I, anyway, I, after reading all that, I was like, I am not taking this ever again. So I've been struggling through antidepressant withdrawal syndrome for the last week and a half. Um, wow. And, uh, it's, it's real. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there who probably get prescribed antidepressants, don't realize what they're signing up for and then get stuck on them. Uh, because getting off, like it is so much, you know what I can do to make this pain go away. I can go start taking the antidepressant again and it goes away immediately. So getting off of anti, I had no idea that there's this whole th- world of getting stuck on antidepressants and I'm now becoming intimately familiar with. And so I am now like, I'm on the other end of it now where it's like, I'm, I'm sleeping. I'm like not feeling as sick, but my brain is still cloudy. And I've read that it could take up to a month to, for this, for the symptoms of antidepressant withdrawal syndrome to go away. Wow. Yeah, I've heard. I mean, everyone knows about this with like opioids and stuff. I didn't. Uh, I, guess, I guess it makes sense, but I didn't. I never thought of that either. That's pretty scary. It's not addiction. It's different. Like like when you take opi- opioids, I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, and like 
uh, and you do drugs or you have alcoholism, you're, it's more of an addictive. Well, there's uh, physical addiction and like mental addiction, right? I I should, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't either. (laughs) I don't either. But, but the, 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 the thing that they distinguish with antidepressant withdrawal syndrome is, is it's brain chemistry. It's not, it's not addiction. Yeah. They, they call these things non addictive, but call whatever the hell you want to. When if you you're tell, going to withdrawal, like, if you're going, you're going to the calling it withdrawal and I'm having symptoms from not taking it. And you tell me that if I just take it, the symptoms will go away. Like that's the definition of it. Like that feels like that could be something that I could get addicted to. So, yeah. um, anyway, if you, I don't know how I feel about antidepressants anymore. I didn't really have an opinion on them before. I'm now like, cannot wait to get through this. And, um, I, it will take a lot of convincing for me to go back on something like this again in my life. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I, I know people who are on medication that helps them a lot and that they need, but it sounds like the, the thing is you didn't need it in the same, like you, you wanted help sleeping. You were not trying to fight depression and it's a different thing. It's a different thing. Now, now what the reality is, is, you know, did it help me with depression over the last 15 years and I didn't know it? Yeah, there could be. Yeah, pot- it'll be interesting be- to hear what, what your experiences are from mm-hmm. now on. Yeah. But uh, I think it's the right decision. I think I really want to get good at sleep. I I can't, I have to start from a basis of sleeping naturally, not sleeping medicated. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm happy to share this stuff. I think it's interesting. Cool. Yeah. I I also think it's interesting. Anything else you want to cover today? No, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm good for the day. You? All right. Sign us off. Alrighty. Um, Hey everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.